0: Good morning. Turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5 and we'll be picking up in the book of Galatians and continue our study in Galatians um, as we talk about the flesh and the Spirit. Galatians 5, we'll be starting in verse 16. It says, I say then, walk in the Spirit contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the spirits, let us also walk in the spirits. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. I've heard this passage before, and I've heard the um, I've studied the fruit of the Spirit before. I've, I've memorized the fruit of the Spirit. I've um, uh, known about it, but I don't think I've ever understood it in the context of Galatians. I've never understood it in, the, in what Paul was really saying outside of this, these two verses. And so as we look at this, it will actually help us understand why he talks about the fruit of the Spirit and how we can um, live in the Spirit And we give a background of the Galatians. We've talked about many times over and over each week um, about what condition the Galatians are in. They had fallen prey to legalism. And Judaizers had crept in, these were false teachers that came in and told them, you must, you know, you're saved by faith, but it's also works. Faith plus works. And so they created quite a scene in Galatians. And Galatia Church. And they began teaching that it was not by faith alone, but it was by faith plus something else. And instead, they were saying that you must keep the, uh, you must also keep the law, the Mosaic law. And specifically, they were talking about circumcision. You must be circumcised in order to be truly saved. And what they were essentially teaching is that faith was not enough. It was something that I had to do as well. I had to do some good deed of my own to prove or to be accepted by God. And they added the Ten Commandments, or that you must read your Bible, or that you must go to church, do something good, in order to be declared righteous. But this is not the gospel. It is a lie. And there is not one thing that you can do to contribute towards for your salvation. It is only by faith alone in Jesus Christ. And not only did they teach that it was salvation plus works, they said, okay, now that you're saved, you also need to continue doing works in order to be pleasing to God. That means you're sanctified by doing good works as well. So they had two things that were wrong. They had that you were saved by faith plus works and that you're sanctified by faith plus works. But it's wrong. And as Christians, it's important to know that we are no longer under the burden of the law. Salvation is by faith alone in Jesus Christ. And we have been called to stand fast, as we learned in chapter 5 earlier, stand fast in the liberty which Christ has made us free. In Christ, we have been set free. We cannot and should not put ourselves back under the law for either salvation or for sanctification. The law was strict, and it demanded perfection. And if you were to put yourself under the law, then you must keep the whole law. And so on one side, you have the extreme of what the Judaizers taught, which was legalism. That is, I have to do works to, in order to be saved. In order to be righteous, I must keep the law. That was Judaism or legalism. And so Paul is saying that you're not under the law. And so now that they hear that, they're like, okay, now you're free, Christ. Should I just throw the law out? Do I just get rid of the law and... I can do whatever I want? Am I allowed to just do as I please? And so the other extreme, as Dino talked about last week, was the license to sin, to do whatever as I, as I please. And that's also not what Paul is talking about either. And we learned last week that it isn't because, it isn't that we have the freedom to do whatever we please, but we're free in Christ to love not to sin, but we're also we're called to love and in service to one another. And we learn that law, the um, love is actually the fulfillment of the law. To love one another as yourself. And in demonstrating love, we actually fulfill the law. <clears throat> so if we no longer have to live by the law and we don't have that to, the law to hold us accountable for our actions. What do we, what do we base our uh, actions, our motives, our, what, do, what do we govern ourselves by if we don't have the law anymore? If we've been freed from the law, then what is our motivation to live holy, to live righteously? How do we, how do we live pleasing to God? What are we to follow? Well, the answer is found in Galatians 5.16. Uh, 5, it says, I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The key to success in the Christian life is to walk in the Spirit. That is the guaranteed way to overcome the flesh and to see victory in the Christian life. In fact, it's stated as a promise. It says, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's a promise to us. And success in the Christian life is not about Following a list of rules and regulations, we don't gain favor from God by keeping the Ten Commandments, and we aren't able to keep the Ten Commandments. We have been freed from the letter of the law and in, in, in order for us to um, be called to walk in the Spirit. However, Paul recognizes that there is, that is not that easy to do because there's a conflict that we see in, chapter, uh, in verse 17. There's a conflict between our flesh and the Spirit. Let's look at it. It says in 17 that the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. And Paul is saying that there's, some, there's an intense battle that is going on between your flesh and the Spirit. And on one hand, we're born with a sin nature. And this is the nature we inherited from Adam, from our father. And when we trusted in the Lord, we were given a new nature. We were given, we were born again. And we were given new desires, new um, motivation to love and please the Lord. Yet there's still this inner conflict, inner battle between our flesh, our old nature, and the new nature that Christ has given us. And at times we find ourselves defeated We find ourselves unable to um, um, please the Lord because our old nature is still around. And really what it's showing us too is that there is no middle ground. I'm either walking in the Spirit, I can either do that, or I can walk in the flesh or please my flesh. I cannot do both at the same time. I cannot be praying and at the same time fighting with my wife. I can't be praying and looking at pornography. I can only do one or the other. And Paul expressed this conflict. He expressed this inner conflict that he had in Romans 7:18. He says for that in me that is in my flesh nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I, want to, I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. If I allow my flesh to control and fail to listen to the Holy Spirit, then I end up not doing the things that the Holy Spirit want me to do. But on the other hand, if I allow the Holy Spirit to take control, then I end up doing the things, I end up not doing the things that my flesh wants to do. And so, in a sense, that the Holy Spirit acts as a restrainer for me to keep me from doing the things that my flesh wants to do. And so, how do we see victory in this? There is victory over the flesh. There is victory over the flesh. And the victory, the key to victory, again, is to walk in the Spirit. It says, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And Paul loved to use you know, illustrations. So what does it mean to walk in the flesh? We talked about that a lot so far. But what does it mean to walk in the Spirit, not the flesh? <clears throat> Paul loved to use illustrations to describe spiritual truths spiritual ideas, and throughout his letters, Paul uses metaphors and uh, figures of speech to talk about these spiritual truths. You hear, you hear him talk about fight the good faith, uh, fight the good fight and um, run the race. Now we have him talking about walk in the spirit. And almost everybody here at some point today has walked some distance. If you made it here this morning, you've probably at least gone out of bed to walk to your car and then driven here, and then now you've walked inside the building. Everyone here walks. When you think of walking, it involves moving your feet in front of you. You're going forward, one step at a time. You're moving forward in direction. And walking is a continuous thing we do in day after day. And in Paul's days, it, it was even probably more of a big deal than it is today. They had to walk everywhere they went. And your spiritual walk is your daily conduct. It's, it's how you walk throughout your life. It's how you, um, it's how you conduct yourself and how you place your, your steps, your footsteps, along the way throughout the day. The Bible talks about walking quite a bit, actually. In Ephesians 2, it talks about our, our former way of walking, how we used to walk in the past. Let's look at how we used to walk. Ephesians 2, 1 says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also you you all once conducted yourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. You see, the walk that we had, the way that we conducted ourselves in the past, was that we fulfilled the lust of a flesh. We walked according to the course of this world, according to the the, um, the desires of and the, the lusts of this world. We were walking according to we were following Satan, the prince, of the power of the air, and we were f- fulfilling our our fleshly desires and our desires of the mind. That's how we used to walk. That's how we used to conduct ourselves. And then it says later in in Ephesians, just just below that, it says, but God showed us some incredible love. He showed us great love, and he reached down in our estate, and he, he, he got a hold of us while we were dead in trespasses and sins. He made us alive together in Christ. And it says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, here you have works again, it's not of works to be saved, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. And so we've been given a new life, new desires, not, all, not, to, not to please God with our, with our flesh, by doing, following the law, but to do it out of love for what he's done for us. So how do we do this practically? How does this look? To walk in the Spirit means that we allow the Holy Spirit to be our guide, to guide us in our daily conduct in wherever you go and whatever you do. This means when you go to the grocery store, when you go to, you go to work, when you go to church, it's not just a one-time event. It's just like walking, it's a continuous day after day to be guided and directed by the Holy Spirit. And as the Spirit guides you and directs you and you follow his lead, you will, progress in the, in the, you will progress forward, you will move forward in the Christian life. And that is what it means to walk in the Spirit. You'll be moving forward, you'll see progression. You will see victory over the flesh. And we do this in a number of ways. We can do this by allowing him to, um, we allow him to convict us and we listen to that conviction. We listen to his promptings. Have you ever been reading the Word of God and you, uh, you read a, a verse or a passage and immediately it just pops out to you and you're convicted by the Lord by something maybe that you said to somebody else or something you did to somebody else. And you realize that that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you through His Word, saying you need to go talk to that person and apologize. Do we listen to those promptings from the Holy Spirit? Do we, do we hear His, His, um, His, His voice through his word. Paul says, um, or later, later next, um, in Romans, he says, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live by the flesh, you will die, but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. We don't, we also don't want to resist or grieve the Holy Spirit. The Bible talks about not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. What are some practical ways that we can do this? What should this daily basis walking in the Spirit look like? In one way, it's complete surrendering all of your areas of your life to the Lord. Sometimes we hold different areas back from the Lord. You have a a boundary around certain areas. You say, Lord, you can't control this one area of my life because it's important to me. I want to hold on to this sin. Don't come near this area of my life. Don't make me change in this this area. That's just who I am. No, you can't touch that. The Bible talks about this. In Romans it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is a reasonable service. We should be completely surrendering, giving up our whole life to the Lord in whatever area he calls us to to change in. Secondly, we can be we are called to be led by the Holy Spirit. In Galatians 5.18, it says, But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And so walking in the Spirit also means that you're being led by the Spirit. You're following the leading of the Spirit. And we do this, we can do this by spending time daily in his word. The Holy Spirit, who is the author of God's Word. <clears throat> Saturating your minds with the Word of God is important to do on a daily basis. And that's how we can, on a daily basis, choose to walk in the Spirit by not by taking His Word and applying it to and hearing what He has to say to us and applying it to our life to saturate your minds with the Word of God. And we can't be led by the Spirit without listening to His voice, listening to what He has to say to us. The Bible is powerful, and we should not think of it as a chore, but as of a desire, a love for God's Word because of what, it, what, it, what effects it can have on our lives. It says in Hebrews that, The Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrows, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Word of God is a place where we can hear the Spirit speaking to you. Convict us, lead us, motivate us to change, motivate us for holiness, and to point us to Christ. Another area that we can walk daily in the Spirit is being filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians, there's two passages that that really touch on this um, quite well. In Ephesians 5, it says, And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And in Colossians, there's a similar passage that reads this way. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, in hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. We have these two very similar passages. The first one um, talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And the second one talks about letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The effects of the two are the same. And so it has been said that to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to really let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. The fourth area we can yield to the Holy Spirit is to set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Romans 8 talks about this. Romans 8.5 it says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. And so you have, <clears throat> if I live according to the flesh, my mind is going to be set on and thinking about fleshly things. But if I live in the Spirit, if I set my mind on the things of the Spirit, I won't be thinking of those, those uh, fleshly things. And ultimately, the Holy Spirit's ministry is to glorify Christ. He's, he's to point us to Christ, to point us to be like Christ. What do, you set your mind, uh, what do you set your mind on? What do you fill your mind with each day and each week? Are you setting your mind on things that are vulgar and foul, that are full of lies, sinful lusts, profanity, Coarse jesting, vain things, sensual things, immoral things—all of these things can be found in um, TV shows today, movies, books, songs on the internet. What type of entertainment do you set your mind on? Are you are you watching? Are you listening to? Those things have an effect on us spiritually. Are these things? This, are these things that you? Th- you meditate on and think about, setting your mind on the things of the flesh. But if we want to live according to the Spirit, we must set our mind on the things of the Spirit. And that is filling your mind with His Word. Filling your mind with songs of praise and worship, things that are true. The thoughts that you dwell on um, and the things that you think of will um, reflect where where you're setting your mind on. Philippians 4 8 says it this way, or encourages us this way. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So we have the command. And it really is a command to walk in the Spirit. And Paul says, and, so how, and we have this struggle, we have this inner struggle of whether I'm pleasing the flesh or am I pleasing the Spirit, if I'm walking in, in one or the other. How do I know which one's winning? How do I know if I'm pleasing the flesh, if I'm fulfilling the desires of the flesh, or if I'm following after the Spirit? How will I know that? Well, Paul says it's very obvious. Keep going in our passage. He says, and... <clears throat> verse 19 Now the works of the flesh are evident they're plain they're they're clear to all it's it's very obvious what the works of the flesh are And we go through the list you'll see what um what the flesh produces and it's not good Now we have a list here of the evidence of the flesh when the flesh has control this is what it produces and there's a, there's a few, there's a few um, areas that could be categorized in certain ways. They don't have to be, they don't have to all neatly fall into individual categories, but it's a way way of talking about them. Um, the first you could categorize as sexual sins. You have adultery, which is unfaithfulness in a marriage. You have fornication, which comes from the word porneia, which we get our... Um, word for sexual immorality, which includes sex before marriage, includes pornography. And we also have more moral impurity, uncleanness. The next categories involve unfaithfulness to God. You have idolatry and sorcery, which puts something else above God or in place of God. And you have something that you worship instead of God. And sorcery involves communication with evil spirits. Um, and it's actually where the, the term comes, the term for sorcery is pharmacea, which we get the word pharmacy from, or pharmaceuticals, drugs. And it's because of the link between um, the communicating with spirits and, and doing drugs at the same time was a was a form that they used to do, which they have done. And sorcery can also come in other forms as well superstitions following after horoscopes to find meaning then there's the another category that involves relationships with others you have hatred you have contentions fighting with one another jealousies <clears throat> wanting something that someone else has outbursts of wrath uncontrolled temper selfish ambitions coming from office-seeking, seeking your own dissensions, where divisions come from, and heresies, where you have false teaching, which we see in Galatian, Galatia, <clears throat> envy and murderers. All of these involve relationships with others and, and um, how we respond with, to others. Then there's selfish indulgence, which we have drunkenness and revel- revelries and the like. These demonstrate... A sin. Uh, this sin. This sin demonstrates a lack of self-control. Now, if you you could say that I, you know I've made it through this list, I've I've not hit any of these points, which would be surprising. But if you think that you never I've never done these physical acts or anything like this, but remember the Lord Jesus, how He talked about if you look at a woman to lust after her, you've what committed adultery in your heart. And so these these lists don't just include the physical acts, but it also includes your heart attitude. If you hate your brother, um, God says that it's it as if you uh, murdered, you have uh, hatred in your heart. And so it's important to, think also, to also know if you've, if you've passed that list, it says to end the list and the like. It's not a conclusive compact. This is the only list uh, uh, here. But it's a, um, it's a sampling of, 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 there's more to this list. It's not an exhaustive list at all. Now Paul ends this, ends this section, um, ends this, uh, this list here. He says, <clears throat> says this with a warning. He says, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul ends this list, this ugly list, with a stern warning. He says people whose lives are categories, who are um, practicing these things continually on a daily basis. He says that it's clear that they're not saved. It doesn't mean that a believer can't struggle with these sins, that they, they cannot commit these sins and not be saved. Christians do wrestle with these sins. They do struggle But the flesh will not dominate them because they are in Christ, because they have power from the Holy Spirit to overcome the flesh. But if these sins are sins that you continually, habitually commit, the Bible is clear that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The flesh cannot be reformed. It cannot be improved. It is part of the sin nature that we inherit from Adam. Romans 6.8 says that for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is enmity against God for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. <clears throat> the flesh is unable to produce the fruit of the spirit as we're going to talk about soon. The, the flesh is unable to uh, fulfill the law of God, to follow his commandments. When we, when we live in the flesh, this is the result. That's what he's saying. This is <clears throat> the outcome of trying to put yourself under the law and following the law. We cannot do it. Our flesh is, is, is not able to please God. <clears throat> and it's important to understand that as a believer, when we try to please God in our own strength, the end result is the works of the flesh, and there's, there's no good thing on our flesh, and to try to please God by keeping the law will result in a vain attempt. The answer is to avoid the works of the flesh. Or the answer to, to avoid the works of the flesh is to walk in the spirit, as we talked about. That's the key to overcoming the flesh. <clears throat> And as we talked about earlier, we remember that the flesh and the spirit are at odds with each other. They're contrary to one another. But the spirit produces fruit, as we're going to see. Galatians 5.22 and 23 says, But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. <clears throat> the works of the flesh are plural. You have many to choose from. There are some that you may do, there are some that you may not do. But they're all there, there's, and there's abundance of them. Now the fruit of the Spirit, it says it doesn't say fruits of the Spirit, but fruit, meaning that it's, it's an all-inclusive, it's a package deal. We get all of it. You don't pick and choose which fruit you are today. You are, when you're led by the Spirit, the Spirit gives us fruit. All of the following in your life. When we look at this list, it's also important to remember this again: that our goal is not to look at these virtues, these uh, this fruit, and go, "Okay, how can I do this on my own to uh, be, to, to love better and to how can I how can I um, be more patient and how can I do this on my own strength?" It's easy to think that, but the key is to walk in the spirit. Let's go back to that every time, is to walk in the Spirit, and as a result of walking in the Spirit, we'll see this fruit. You'll see this fruit in your life. That's the key. And it's all about sanctification. As we yield our lives to the Lord, as we yield our lives to the Spirit and let Him work in our lives, you'll see less and less of doing the works of the flesh. You'll see that list decrease in our lives, and you'll see more of the fruit evident in your life. And the, thing, the Galatians thought that sanctification came about by following the law. But God's word teaches us that sanctification is being led by the spirits. It's not something we can do on our own strength. If you look at this list as a whole, and we're told, you know, here's some virtues that you need to have. If we were to create um, a law that said you must demonstrate love, you must demonstrate kindness, and, and all these things, what would that kind of person look like? What would he? What kind of person would you have to be? But well, you had to be a pretty remarkable person, I think, to demonstrate these character qualities, especially on your own. You would have to be like the Lord Jesus Christ, because he was. Jesus was the only one who was able to perfectly live, and demonstrate this fruit of the spirit. And it was a. And his life is a perfect uh, example of one who was fully yielded to the Spirit, fully letting, allowing the Spirit to control his life um, at all times. Well, the fruit of the Spirit is nothing less than examples of how Jesus lived. And we can look to Jesus to see how he lived and how he demonstrated those, these fruit of the spirits. And we see that these, these fruit... This fruit is the opposite of the flesh. We see how it's... If you look at the list that we talked about before and compare it to this list, it's their complete opposites. If I have love, I won't hate one another. If I... I won't... Um, if I have joy, I won't cause dissensions and, uh, or have outbursts of wrath. If I have peace and long-suffering, I won't be displaying selfish ambitions or contentions. If I have self-control... I won't be indulging in drunkenness. The fruit of the Spirit, let's look at uh, a few of them. <clears throat> the fruit of the Spirit is love. And love is a true mark of a believer. Love is that sacrificial, humble, put other needs first, or putting put in them above their own. Jesus talked about the love that we would have Jesus said that in John 13, 35, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's a decided mark of a true Christian. Romans 5, 5 says that the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. And John fifteen twelve says that this is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. The Christian has joy in salvation, joy from being saved from a life of sin, and joy from a future home in heaven. We, have, we also can experience joy in the midst of tribulation and trials. James talks about counting into all joy when you fall into various trials. That is a fruit of the Spirit. We are called to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Our joy is found in the Lord. And the Spirit produces a life of joy while the flesh produces a life of dissatisfaction, and disappointment. The fruit of the Spirit is peace. Romans 12, 18 says that if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. We will exhibit peace with others, with one another, when we are filled with the Spirit. John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let your heart not be troubled, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. We have peace with God through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He himself is our peace, what the Bible says. The fruit of the Spirit is long-suffering, or patience. And patience was a characteristic of the Lord, of the Lord Jesus. Patience is possible in the life of a Spirit-led believer. And, you know, Putting up with difficult people can be hard. There's always a certain type of person that just gets on your nerve. Patience with kids that are rude um, or kids that are unruly and rude coworkers and family members that are difficult to work with. But the fruit of the Spirit gives us um, long-suffering. gives us patience. It give, gives us patience to endure difficulty and affliction. The fruit of the Spirit is Kindness. It's can be displayed through acts of kindness to one another in service, hospitality. Goodness is also uh, very linked closely to this. Goodness and kindness are similar in nature. And goodness, it also involves showing generosity. In Galatians 6.10, it says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And the fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. That means you're dependable, reliable. It's a person that keeps what their word and they're true to what they've said. They keep their promises. And this can be seen in a faithful ministry, it can be seen in faithfully following through um, in their life and in their marriage. Paul says he um, commands Timothy to look for faithful men that will be able to that you can teach to carry on the teaching of the gospel. Faithful men are required for that. It's a good trait. Jesus is the one who is called the faithful and true. He shows us faithfulness to provide for us, to care for us, to guide us. And he is faithful to forgive us of our sins and trespasses. The fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. Another word that you, could, uh, you might see in your Bible is meekness which involves humility or lowliness and who was not more meek and lowly than Jesus who came to this earth to be born of a um, born as a baby in a manger to to live on this walk on this world and to die for our sins who left his home and left a home in heaven Jesus also showed this practically on a daily basis and with his disciples, he told them to love one another as I have loved you. And what did he do right after that? He got on his knees and washed their feet, their stinky feet. He showed love and humility to them. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Those who walk by the Spirit will have a, a life restrained from, um, from sin and, and controlled by the Holy Spirit. We don't live our life any way that we want, but we live it under the control of the Holy Spirit's, his guidance. And, and restraint in this area, in, in this, showing this character virtue, would, would really show control in regards to sexual immorality, to drunkenness, restraint from pornography. The Holy Spirit gives a believer power over these things, the control to have victory over these passions and lusts. How can somebody live a life that contained all of these virtues? On my own, that would be impossible. This is a result of following, being led, being filled, yielding your life to the Holy Spirit by walking in the Spirit on a daily basis. This isn't a result of one one day just waking up, okay, now I've got the fruit of the Spirit. This is an ongoing process, a daily walk with the Lord, daily being in His Word, having Him change you Sanctifying you. This isn't the result of human law keeping, as well. That's why Paul says, "Against such, there is no law." I believe what he's saying is, you cannot make a law that would um, produce these qualities. I can't make a law that would produce this kind of outcome. When we have, when we had the law, that produced all the lusts of the flesh, all the works of the flesh. The law wouldn't produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, um, gentleness, self-control. It is by walking in the Spirit that the Spirit produces this fruit in us. And on top of that, I believe it also means that a life that is yielded to the Holy Spirit, a life that is led by it, producing this fruit, conforms to the law of God. As we yield ourselves in the direction of the Holy Spirit, we actually are fulfilling the law of Christ. We aren't under the law, but we are following, walking in the Spirit, and we, as a result, the Spirit is the one who changes our lives, gives us this fruit, and in turn, when we're doing that, we're seeing um, the uh, fulfillment of the law. Verse 24 says this, <clears throat> And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires... Paul reminds believers two important truths. We belong to Christ, those who are Christ's. Excuse me. And we have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And Paul is telling telling them remember back to a point in time, pointing back to a time in history. It was an event that occurred at a point the day that you were saved, the day that you gave up, um, that you you uh, surrendered to the Lord and you gave your life over to him. And at that time, you, have, you were saying, I'm forsaking my former life. I give up. I surrender. Lord, please save me. And at that, that moment, Paul is saying, you crucified the flesh with its passionate desires. You crucified it at that moment. And Romans 6 explains this even more. It says, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. And in uh, verse 12, he says, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our, our Our old nature, our old body, has been crucified with him on the cross. And so what he's saying is that our old nature is dead. We don't need to respond to it. It's been crucified. So, it, so then it commands to reckon yourselves to um, that you are dead indeed to sin. Don't respond. You, you have the power um, from the Holy Spirit to do that. And in Galatians 2, we also have seen this in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's because of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross that we no longer need to be dominated by sin. We no longer need to respond to sin, but we should reckon ourselves dead to sin. Verse 25 says, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit." Again, we are given the Spirit at salvation. The moment we were saved, we were indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And salvation is the work of the Holy Spirit. Since I've been given life by the Spirit, I've been, I'm, I'm made alive, I'm born again by the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what he did at the day of salvation for me. If I live by the Spirit, we all should called to walk by the Spirit, to um, follow in step. And it's actually a military command to get in step with, it's a little bit different than the first uh, word we looked at, but it's to get aligned with the Holy Spirit. And we, de- and we will also demonstrate <clears throat> the fruit of the Spirit as we do that. And He'll sanctify us, as we talked about, as we allow Him to work in our lives. Paul ends this chapter. by saying, Let us not be cons- Let us not become conceited, provoking in one another, envying in one another. As we end this section, Paul gives us some exhortations of areas to avoid, uh, to avoid being conceited, provoking, envying. And each one of these demonstrates the opposite qualities of walking in the Spirit, uh, of fruit of the Spirit. And when we recognize We recognize, in, in light of this passage, we recognize that the believer is no longer under the law. That we are no longer under the law. These negative traits can, become, can come up inwardly as, as a result of um, that desire to put myself back under the law. It could come up as a, um, uh, a desire to show that I, I can keep the law, I can, I can do this. And then I become conceited. I become proud. These negative traits can come out that way. We become proud of our vain achievements and look down our nose at those who don't measure up to the standards that we have set and these self-imposed rules. And so instead we strive with one another and we envy one another. And that's what was probably occurring in Galatian and the Galatian church um, at that time. Ephesians 4 1 says this <clears throat> Walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bear one another in love. And Ephesians 4 17 says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their minds. How should we walk? Instead, Colossians 3.12 says, Therefore, as elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against one another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And we have a list again of fruit. That is similar to the fruit of the spirit, and love is the ultimate calling. That we we are to love one another. We have been free not to be, um, not to do whatever we want, but we're free to love one another in service. The free, the secret victory, a victory, the secret to victory over sin, is to put ourselves in subjection to the Holy Spirit and allow Him to have His work in us. What would it look like? if you were to yield completely to the Spirit? Are there areas in your life that you're holding back from? Is there sin that you're holding on to? If so, confess it to the Lord and allow Him to work fully in your life. I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for this passage, this, uh, your word, Lord, and the, the clear um, command to walk in the Spirit, Lord. And we thank you for the, the Holy Spirit and his, the power that you give us through the Holy Spirit to overcome the flesh. Lord, we pray that we would uh, more and more be conformed to the image of your Son, that we would yield our lives to the Holy Spirit and uh, his leading. And Lord, we, I pray that you would show that to us practically, daily, how we can do that, how we can, uh, each one of us, individually, yield our lives to the Lord. Uh, Lord, we pray that we would have love for one another, we would uh, show compassion, kindness, and not envying and and showing, producing uh, the works of the flesh. Lord, we pray that you might produce in us fruit, and lasting fruit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.